All right, so this morning we're going to start with a question. Okay, we're going to start with a question. So if you've been here the last couple weeks, we're doing a three-week series on how we're formed through different spiritual disciplines, we could say. And let me just say there's, there's many more than three ways that God forms us or, or means of formation, but we're looking at three. And so uh, week one was scripture. Last week, if you remember, it was prayer. And then this week, I want to start with this question. How are we formed by Christian community? How are we formed by Christian community? You probably know if you've been in church for any amount of time that community is important. It's something you should be a part of. But specifically, how does God use community, Christian community specifically, to form us to look more like his son? Have you ever thought about that? How does God use your community, the people he's put around you, to make you more Christ-like? So here's what I want to do. We're going to, we're going to jump into Romans. Actually, next week we're going to jump back into our series of Romans, but I couldn't wait, so one week ahead of time, we're going back into Romans. And you heard the Darlingtons, they read a passage for you, but I just wanted them to do that for the context, because I'm going to look at one verse this morning. That's what we're going to study. It's one verse, and it's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Okay, so we're going to take this verse and I'm going to kind of ring it out for, I think, hope, hopefully for all it's worth. So Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Let me, let me just read this for us. It's the Apostle Paul, and he tells us this. He says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, read that one more time. Love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. And so it is amazing. I could, this could be multiple sermons just on what this verse alone teaches us about Christian community. And so I'm going to narrow it down to five things. Okay, so five observations here on what this means for Christian community. And so let's get into it. Here's number one. Number one. Based on Romans 12.10, we learn that Christian community is not selective. Christian community is not selective. So Paul tells us here, he calls us to brotherly love. Now, Bible trivia question. You may, you may all actually be Greek scholars and you don't even know it. Brotherly love, do you know the Greek word for that that Paul uses here? Anyone? I heard someone say it. Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia, so city of brotherly love. So Paul calls us to Philadelphia. Here's what he's saying. Salvation is a community-creating event. When you are adopted by God, you're not just adopted by him. You are adopted into his family. <laughs> He's adopting us as sons and daughters, and in doing that, he is creating a community. I mean, that, that's, it makes sense, right? I mean, some of you all have adopted. Some of you all have been adopted. From what I hear, when you are adopted into a family... Kids are part of the package, right? Like the other kids in the family are part of the package. You can't opt out of brothers and sisters, right? You can't opt out of the brothers and sisters in the family that you were adopted into. You can't say, I just want mom and dad. I don't want the Johnson brothers and sisters. It's part of it. And so when God adopts us, which we're going to talk more about in Romans, right? When he adopts us so that we can call him Abba Father. We talked about that last week with the with the, the uh, Lord's Prayer, we come to him and we say, Our Father. That's an amazing truth. But you can't have the Our Father without the brothers and sisters, <laughs> right? So when you are brought in to the community of God, it is truly that. It is a community. He's bringing us into a community. Here's another example of that, just to show you how, how big of a deal this is in Christianity. When we read the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, the pronoun you over and over again, right? You do this, you do that, you, you, you. Here's the thing. This doesn't show up very well in our, our English translations. But if you had a bunch of East Tennesseans who sat down with that Greek text and did the translation, it would actually be a lot of y'alls in there, okay? It's Jesus saying over and over again, y'all do this, y'all do that. It, it, it's, it, it's second person, right? It's second person plural, He's calling, he's talking to a community. The Sermon on the Mount is actually not just for how you live 
as an individual Christian. It's about how a group of Christians, a Christian community, is to live together. So when we are adopted, we are adopted into a family, into a community. But think about what this means, and it's inherent there in the analogy I used about being adopted into a family. What this shows us is that Christian community isn't selective. It isn't selective. You know, I, I, I didn't choose my sister. Okay? She's sitting right there. I'm glad she's my sister, but I had no say in the matter. Okay? She just came, and she was my sister, right? I didn't get a choice in that. And so when we are adopted into Christian community, it isn't selective. Okay? We are adopted into a community with a bunch of people who may be hard to deal with, who may be frustrating, who we may have no, nothing in common with, but we're called to love them anyway. Right? Like that, that's the call. We're called to love them anyway, just like we love our brothers and sisters. Look at this. This is, this, is in, this is just really obvious, actually, if you're reading the Greek here and what Paul is calling us to. As I said, he, he, he calls us to Philadelphia. He calls us to brotherly love. But, but here's what he says. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. And that love, so, so I don't know if you, you've heard this before. Maybe it's, you know, I feel like it's a, prop, uh, a common preacher thing to point out. But there's four different types of love in Greek. Four different types of love. And, and the word he uses here is the word philostorgoi. That's fun to say, right? And I'm probably butchering it because I talk like an East Tennessean. But philostorgoi. And what and C.S. Lewis has done, he has this great little book called The Four Loves. Okay, you need to check that out if you haven't yet. And he takes these four different types of Greek love and he breaks them all down. And here's what he says about this one. So storgi or storgoi. Here's what he says. Here's, here's his his quote describing what this kind of love is that Paul is telling us to devote ourselves to. Here's what Lewis says. He said, We may say, and not quite untruly, that we have chosen our friends and the woman we love for their various excellencies, for beauty, frankness, goodness of heart, wit, intelligence, and what, or whatnot. But it had to be the particular kind of wit, the particular kind of beauty, the particular kind of goodness that we like, and we have our personal taste in these matters. That is why friends and lovers feel that they were made for one another. But the special glory of affection, he's talking about this love that Paul's calling us to, and he calls it affection. The special glory of affection is that it can unite those who most emphatically even comically, are not people who, if they had not found themselves put down by fate in the same household or community, would have had nothing to do with each other. You see his point? Okay? So you, can, you get a choice in your spouse. right? So you can say, we're made for each other. right? Lewis also says, when he's talking about friendship, he says, friendship begins when you meet someone and say, you too? I thought I was the only one. right? That's how friendship starts. But what he says here with this storgy love is it's a love that you don't even really have a part in choosing. <laughs> it's a love that you just look around and the community is there and you, you don't even know how it really happened. It's a love that like if you sat down and just compared resumes, you have no reason to be in community with that person. But something is bringing you together. And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's Christian community. It's indiscriminate. It's, it's not selective. It's people who may have nothing in common uniting around the way of Jesus. So Christian community is not your fantasy football league, right? You don't get to draft the people you want and drop them at will and select who you want. It's indiscriminate. It's not selective. And that takes us to point two. It's not selective, and it's messy. It's messy. Christian community is messy. And if you've been in any kind of Christian community for any amount of time, you know this to be true, don't you? But this, if you think about it, is just the natural outflow of what I was just talking about. Because it's possible you could hand select a group of friends that pretty much just get along with each other, right? Maybe there's some arguments here or there, but, but you all, your temperaments just go well together, your interests go well together. You can find a group of friends that aren't that messy. But when you get this group that comes together from all over, it's bound to be messy. 
it's bound to cause us heartache, right? Maybe you thought about, I mean, relationship. We talk about community. Think about this. Relationships are one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, aren't they? I mean, think back to the best times in your life. They're all around relationships, I think. But relationships are also the cause of our greatest heartache. Like, I remember when, when, when Allie got pregnant for the first time with Knox, we um, were over at, at an older couple's house. They had four kids, and I remember this advice, and it stuck with me. This guy just looked at me, and he said, when you have kids, your highs are going to get so much higher <laughs> but your lows are going to get so much lower. And in a sense, that, that's true for all community, right? It makes the highs higher, but it makes the lows lower because Christian community brings together broken and frustrating people. And this means it can get really messy really quick. I mean, just let me just point this out. I think Jesus expects this. Jesus expects that when we bring these people together, it's going to get messy. And we see this in how he actually chose his own community. Right? So look at this. Um, it'll be up on the screens. Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. So here's a list of the people that Jesus chose to be his community. Right? So he's, these are the people, these are the men he's invited on this three-year-long camping trip with him. Right? That's, that's basically what it was. Here's who he's bringing in. Here's the list. It says, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Maybe you've noticed this before or heard someone teach on it before. I underline those two for a reason. So there's only two people, two, two men in this group where Matthew makes sure to highlight basically what they do for a living or something about them, right, something they do. And what we have here is we have Matthew the tax collector and we have Simon the zealot. So cultural context, you maybe remember here that, that as Jesus is, is walking around doing his ministry, the Israelites, the Jewish people, are under the rule of Rome. And this isn't a good thing. Right? Rome is, you know, they, 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 they keep the, the foot down on them, right? It's hard to live in this environment. But Rome is ruling here. And so amongst the Jewish people, you would have these debates about how they should deal with it. You'd have these political debates of what do we do about our Roman problem. And on the far ends of the spectrum, you have tax collectors and you have zealots. Tax collectors are the ones who say, well... Maybe this isn't a good thing, but it's an opportunity to make money. And so Rome is coming in, sometimes taxing people 80% of what they're bringing in. And what they would do is they would recruit these, these Jewish men to come in as tax collectors, and they're the ones who had to go and take the money from their own people. And that's Matthew, Matthew the tax collector, a traitor, right? Benedict Arnold, that's who he is. He is totally turned on his own people. And then on the flip side, you have Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were, I, literally, I think Zealot, it means something like dagger men, is what the word actually means. And it's because they would carry daggers around and kill Roman officials and then kind of back up into the crowd. They were taking the exact opposite uh, they basically doing the exact opposite of what the tax collectors were doing. They're saying, we have a Roman problem. We're not going to be a part of them. We're just going to kill them until they leave us alone. And Jesus is choosing his 12 guys. And who does he choose? Tax collector, come here. Zealot, come here. Here's a fire. Sit around. Talk. <laughs> Eat dinner together. Do ministry together. Pray together. How do you think that went? You think politics came up? Probably, right? You think politics came up? Absolutely. That's messy, okay? That is absolutely messy. And Jesus is choosing this. So he's not out doing, you know, Myers-Briggs tests and Enneagrams to see who fits the best together in his community. He's purposefully bringing in people that are going to make it messy. 
That's, that's how he does community. And so we should expect nothing different in our own lives. But here's what we can rest in. Okay, I think this is key for a lot of people. Maybe this is all you need to get out of this message. God is not surprised by the brokenness of your community. Okay. I'll talk about this more in a second. But often when we experience that brokenness, we think this isn't the way it's supposed to be, and we bolt. He is not surprised by it. It's actually the exact opposite. He is purposefully using that to form you. Okay? He, he is not scared by the mess. It's actually part of his plan. So expectation is key. Expectation is key. So many, and I've seen this. I've, I've, I've been in ministry 10 years at this point. I've seen this already more times than I can count. So many communities that had so much potential are destroyed by wrong expectations. Wrong expectations destroy the community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer nailed this. If you, want, if you want one little book on community to read, read his called Life Together. Super short, not, not, not a terribly difficult read. But here's what he says. He says, He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. When you come into a community with a dream, you destroy that community because you're loving the idea of this community more than you're loving the people that God has put around you. You see that? We're not called to love the idea. We're called to love the people. (laughs) We're not called to love this perfect thing that we have in our mind because we're never going to ever get it because we're getting united in community with a bunch of sinners. We're called to love the people, not the idea. Let me point this out, too. And, and let me just be clear, okay? You may, I may say this, and you're like, that's not true at all for what I've experienced. But I think that when we're talking about expectations here, okay, expectation is, is key. Here's a, this, is, this is completely based off my own observation. You can take it or leave it, okay? I don't, I don't, I don't even have a, a biblical example to back this up, okay? So this is just totally me talking here. But here's what I would suggest you should expect every time you join a Christian community, okay? There's three phases, three phases. I think this applies to every community group. I think this applies to every church. These three phases, I've seen it over and over and over again. Here's phase one, idealism, idealism. It always starts out with idealism. You come into the community, and it's either, and I'll say idealism has two different options here. It could be just a hopeful optimism, or it could be straight-up celebration. You come into this community, and one of two things is kind of your feeling. Number one, it could be that you just are praising God for this group of people. Like, this, this is it. This is what you've been praying for. You look around the circle in your community group, and you're like, these people are saints. They're everything I want to be when I grow up, and they're my age, right? Like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Thank you, God, right? And that's great. Like, that's, praise God. That's an amazing thing. Or maybe it's not that, but you know, maybe it's not the community group you would choose, but you're at least really hopeful because these people are genuine. They seem to really know Jesus. You believe that you know, God truly has you here for a reason. So it's optimistic, right? It, it, it's, it's, there's an idealism here. In this first phase, you're feeling pretty good. You're thankful for this group that you're around. You know, maybe, I thought, I'm talking about community group, maybe it's the church as a whole. You found a church where, hey, the, the preaching's pretty good, and, and the, the you know, music is so well done, and the people are so friendly, and the, there's so much stuff for my family. And Wow, okay, thank you, God. This is amazing. Here's what you need to know, and here's what a lot of people miss. Phase two is coming. It's always coming. Phase two is on the horizon, and here's what I call phase two the letdown. There's always going to be a letdown. I, pr- I promise you. I've, it, maybe you can come up after the sermon and correct me. I've never not seen the letdown. It's always coming. Things are going to get messy. In your community group, Jackie is going to keep saying offensive stuff and hurting people's feelings. 
I'm trying purposely to not use anyone's name in this room. So please ignore it if I accidentally do. But Jackie's going to keep saying offensive stuff and hurting people's feelings. Johnny's going to chew with his mouth open when you're all having dinner together. Leslie will not stop talking about her kids. And they're not that great, right? They're not that great. They don't, they're, they're not, like, like, Johnny's not playing in the NFL. I'm sorry, right? Like, like they're not that great. And here's what's going to happen. The letdown, right? The letdown. All of a sudden, these aren't your people. It's just not a good fit. It's just not a good match. Maybe it happens on the church level, right? All of a sudden, you realize the church leadership is making some decisions that you don't agree with. The Sunday service down the road is, is just a little bit better, right? The programs that the church is running just aren't what they once were. It's easy to bolt at that point, isn't it? It's easy to bolt. Like, I'll be honest, okay? This is, I mean, as I say this, this is easier said than done for me. I mean, we're, um, so me and Allie got married in 2015, and the first five years of our marriage, we lived in three states. So we were in Knoxville, we moved up to Louisville, Kentucky, we moved down to Austin, Texas, and then we moved back here. So we, we moved across the country, I get, like three times during that time. And, and it wasn't because we were running from anything, it wasn't because things got messy and we bolted, that wasn't it at all. God was truly, I think, leading us to those different places, right? Like, I think this was part of, like, it was, I think we did the right thing. I think we were following the Lord's guidance. But here's what it's negatively done to me. I know how to leave and start over, okay? I have that skill. I know how to leave and start over. So there's this impulse in me that when things get difficult, when there's interpersonal conflict, to say, where are we going, <laughs> right? Let's go make new friends, okay? It, it, that's just... That's just in me, right? In my sinful heart is, well, that's done, right? Like, let's go find someone else. But I'm telling you, if, if you want to be formed by community, you have to resist the urge to bolt. That little urge in your heart that says, just leave. You have to resist the urge to bolt. And here's why. Because phase three is true community. Phase three is true community. Have you ever noticed that no one asks a couple who's been married six months for relationship advice? <laughs> Why? Because they're still in the idealism stage. <laughs> they're infatuated with each other. In a sense, I mean, I, I mean this in the right way. In a sense, they're not loving a real person yet. <laughs> okay? It's when you're 10 years in, 15 years in, 20 years in, 30 years in, and you see all the flaws. You see all the sin. You're actually loving a real person. It takes that in community, too. It takes, it takes time to actually begin loving a real person. Now, with a caveat here, I'll promise you this. God is not calling you to leave your spouse when it gets messy, okay? He's not. He's not calling you to leave your spouse when it gets messy. Let me give the caveat. He could call you to another community. Okay, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. He could call you to another community. He could call you to another local church. That could be, be good and right and a, and a great thing. Okay? He could possibly do that. But what I'm saying is that decision cannot be made flippantly. That's a big decision. To, to leave a community is a big thing that you need to make sure you got that right. Okay? You, need to, you need to be praying about it. You need to be getting wise counsel about it. That's not just, you know, leaving a social group. That's, that's leaving something stronger than that. It's a big decision. And here's why. Because, because all community takes two things. If you want to get to true community, it takes two things. It takes time, and it takes intentionality. Right? It takes time, and it takes intentionality. Those two things are what equals true community. We are so, as Americans, we are so about efficiency aren't we? I know I am. How can we most efficiently build this community? But community building doesn't happen that way. It's slow. It's tedious. It happens over time. It doesn't happen the way you want it to happen. It takes time to build community. And it also takes intentionality. That's what separates your Christian community from your 800 Facebook friends, right? 
This is intentional. Okay? So here's what I mean. I mean. That's like a word that people throw around so much. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Here's what Sherry Turkle, she's a sociologist who's done a lot of work on this topic. Here's how she defines community. And I would say this is what intentional community looks like. She says, communities are constituted by physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsibilities. Okay. That, that's real community. Physical proximity, shared concerns, real consequences, and common responsibilities. So think about, I mean, think about it. Think about your, your community group. You have all these things, don't you? You spend time together consistently in order to get to know each other. You share the same concerns. You're, you're all seeking to follow Jesus and look more like him. Your time together is consequential. It's intentional. There's a goal for meeting together. And you have common responsibilities. I think at the forefront, each other. You're responsible to each other. You're responsible for helping each other finish the race well. All that to say, it's intentional, right? Like that's, that's what, because I have to, I think I have to say this because um, the internet promises community. It doesn't typically deliver, okay? Again, maybe you have, you, you've seen it work. I don't, I haven't, right? The community promises to give you true intentional community. I, I've never seen it actually deliver in that because it takes this. It takes physical proximity. It takes actually caring for each other. It takes a commitment to each other. That's intentional community. Let me dive deeper here. Sorry, I keep, keep having to go deeper here. Let me dive deeper here with this word intentionality, though, to, to maybe, maybe help if you feel a little guilty here. Let me say this. You will not have, okay, even, even in just the local church, let's just talk about West Park Baptist Church, even in West Park Baptist Church, you will not have the same level of intentionality with everyone. It's impossible. Okay? I, like, I feel like I just have to say that because sometimes we can feel like, oh, I just, there's so many people I don't know. Well, yeah. Okay? You know why? Because there's 809 members in our church plus hundreds of attenders. <laughs> it's impossible to have the same amount of intentionality with everyone. So think of, here, here's how I think about it. Okay? When you're thinking about intentionality and community, this is how I think about it. Um, I, I think about it in concentric circles, okay? And I, and I stole, I'm gonna, if you'll throw that graphic up there, I totally stole this from an author named Jenny Allen. Um, I came up with the concentric circles. I, I assume, you know, I've been thinking about that for a while, but I can't make cool graphics. I'm going to steal hers, okay? So here's, here's how I, I think you can think about it when you think about intentionality in your community. You have that outer circle that she's calling acquaintances. And these are the people that, that, you know, and there is, I mean, you, you may know. We'll just call them for, for our purposes. These are the members and attenders of West Park Baptist Church. Okay, so a thousand plus people. And these are people that, that there needs to be some level of intentionality with. If you're sitting down on a Sunday morning and someone comes and sits by you, talk to them, right? Get to know them. If you're in an equipping class together, talk to that person. Get to know them. If you hear of a need in our church, even if it's someone you've never met, it's a good thing to go take them a meal, right? To feel responsible for the other covenant members in our church. That, that is an amazing thing. So there's a level of intentionality there. But then we need to go further into the circle. And further in, she's calling it 10 to 30 in your village. What we would call it is a community group, right? These are the people that you're actually consistently practicing the one another's of the Bible with. These are the people that you're gathering with to pray together, to study the Bible together, to be on mission together, to, to bear each other's burdens. And so if your community is only made up of that outside acquaintances, it's hard to practice the one another's of the Bible. We need that little bit inner circle, that 10 to 30 who are in your community group or village or whatever you want to call it. And then she has this circle even in from that, your, your inner circle of two to five, and this, this is a big one, okay? Here's what this is. This is what I call your surgeons, your surgeons. Because surgeons, what do they do? They cut you, but only in order to heal you. And that's what that group is allowed to do. Your two to five are the people that you have opened your life up to enough where they can actually speak into it. Okay? 
You're letting them know how you're actually doing. You're, you're letting them know how your marriage actually is. You're opening it. There, there's nothing that's off the table with that group. So you see, see how this works? You can't be completely intentional with a 1,000 people, but you can do that with that two to five. They're the ones you expect to call you out when you've strayed. Right? So that's, I think that's helpful to think about. And, and just so you know, I, I mean, I, I said that, you know, I've been thinking about it in concentric circles. I think there's biblical warrant to this. I think Jesus does this, right? Like we have an example of this. So if you think about it, his acquaintances, there's more than the 12 that walk around with Jesus. There's men and women who travel everywhere with him. There's a bigger group that's around him. And then he has the 12, right? And then within the 12, he actually has the three, Peter, James, and John. <laughs> and then on the center, he has his father. So you see that there's different levels here of intentionality, okay? But let me warn you, okay? So, so that looks really good on a graphic. Again, really clean and awesome and amazing. Let me, let me remind you, it's messy, <laughs> okay? It's messy. And, and, and here's the thing. There's a reason that it's so easy to hang out on that outer circle. Your chances of being hurt on that outer circle is far lower. The farther you go in to the center of that circle, into your inner circle of two to five, the more likelihood there is for you having your heart broken. The messier it gets. Every circle is another layer that gets messier and messier and messier down into your inner circle. But I would argue that if you want true community, if you truly want to be formed by community, you have to enter in. <laughs> you have to, to allow your heart to possibly, and, and actually more than likely, be broken. Here's C.S. Lewis again. This is one of my favorites. He says this, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It's to be vulnerable. And, and let, me, let me just add, I need to say here, I, I know there are people in this room who have been truly hurt by community, okay? And, and like truly hurt by community. And so I'm not downgrading that, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying get over it and enter in. I, I know, like, I know. And, and I I can't, you know, I don't know every situation, so I can't really speak accurately to everyone. But I, I'm saying in general, in general, I would just encourage you, open yourself up, okay? Open yourself up. True community is found farther into that circle, farther in that circle. So let me stop here. A couple application points. What's your next step? What's your next step? So maybe, maybe your next step is this. Maybe you're not a member of any church. You've never entered into membership at a church. You're not a member here. You're not a member anywhere. Let me say this. Maybe that's your next step. Okay? Maybe that's your next step. Maybe, and, and, and I'm, here's how much I care about you. I'm not even saying it has to be here. Okay? Just make it somewhere. Just make it somewhere. Go find, there, we, we are so blessed here in Knoxville that we have I, literally dozens of churches that are amazing that are truly on mission for the Lord, that are, are wanting to follow him. Like, it's so amazing that West Park doesn't have to do it all alone here in Knoxville. So if it's not here, if, if you don't think it's here and you're just kind of been hanging out, go find somewhere else. Please, like, for, for the sake of your soul, go find another church that you can join because there's a lot of good ones around. We're happy to give you a list of, of ones that we would suggest if you want us to do that. But if it is here, what's holding you back? Okay? Join us in membership, right? Enter in. And here's what I'll promise you. Here's what, just, just expectations. That's what we're all about here. Expectations. If you enter in as a member here in this church, here's what you will find. All 
809 members are broken, sinful people. True? Everyone who's a member? True. Broken, sinful people. It can get messy. It, it, can, it can get messy here, just like every other community. It's not perfect. Okay? Tim Keller says, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. West Park Baptist Church is a hospital for sinners. But I will say also, I truly believe, I've been here since 2002, left for a little while, came back. It truly is a church that when we say we seek to love God, love people, and impact the world, I truly believe we mean that. Okay? I truly believe that we're genuine in that. I truly believe that that is our goal. Do we fall short? Yeah. Are our leaders perfect? No. Right? But we're seeking to do that. And it, it, it is a good place to be a member of. So maybe that's your next step. Find a place to be a member. If it's here, enter into that. If you have questions about what that looks like, come ask me at the end. Here's number two. Maybe you are a member, okay? Maybe you are a member, but you're hanging around on that outside circle. You walk in, there's some people that you say hey to, you talk about the game with, but you're not entering into true community. Find that, okay? Find that. Will that be a community group or... Maybe you're in a community group and you need to find those two to five people who are really looking into your life. Enter into that. Seek true community. It's going to cost you some freedom. And as Americans, we hate that, don't we? <laughs> Every time you enter further in community, it costs you a little freedom, but it's worth it. That is how God wants to form us to look more like Jesus. Let's move on. Here's point three. Here's point three. Christian community exposes. It exposes. Consider this. Who are you the biggest jerk to in your life? Think about it. Who, who are you the biggest jerk to in your life? I bet it's the people you're closest with. Right? It's people you're closest with. So if you don't have those people who you're close with, you could go on thinking that you're, you got it all together, Right? But God uses those people who are closest to us to show us the sin down in us, to bring it to the surface. We love to live in denial. We love to feel like everything's okay. But community doesn't let us live in denial. It reveals the real us. Because it's who you are with the people you're closest to. That is the real you. And that's why it's so key to stay in it into phase three to not bolt. A lot of Christians have never been able to truly be formed by community because they always bail in phase two when things get hard. But it's phase three that truly exposes what's going on inside of you. I found a good, a good story that I think shows this the other day. Um, so there's this, this guy in the 1950s, I can't remember his name, but this guy felt like he was called by God to go out into the Sahara Desert for 10 years and basically live most of that alone, just worshiping God, praying, you know. Earn, and like, that, was, that was truly what he wanted, to earnestly seek God for 10 years in the Sahara Desert. Well, he goes out, he, he does that, and then he comes home after 10 years and he reconnects with his mom. And his mom had a lot of kids. She had basically raised kids for 30 years total. And this guy was shocked when he came back just from spending a few minutes from his mom because here's what he realized. His mom, for 30 years, had not spent much time alone at all. She was constantly responding to cries and people asking for her help and things like this. But here's what he saw. His mom was less selfish than he was. His mom was more patient than he was. His mom was more godly than he was. And he was shocked by this, right? Now, 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 let me say this. I'm all for silence and solitude. That's a whole different sermon. I have another sermon where I will argue that you need time, you know, alone in the desert. You need time, just you and God. But what this shows us is that we are formed through being with other people, right? If I was on an island by myself for 10 years, I would think I was amazing, right? I would think I had it all together, but community exposes what's really inside of us. It rids us of our selfishness. And that's what, that's, 
Paul's point here when he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's what he's calling us to. What's he saying? It's basically saying, don't worry about being honored yourself. Look to always honor others. Put the needs of others above your own. Raise them up. Okay, that's what it's about. Raise them up. Community helps you to rid yourself of your selfishness and put others above yourself. Think about this. Um, Jim and Karen, I said, read the context, right, around verse 10. There's one verse that's always stuck out to me. Remember when they read this? It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Heard that before, right? Paul calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Here's my question for you. Which one of those is harder? Which one of those is harder? I always thought it was the weep with those who weep one. And maybe it's just, I'm not emotional. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to cry, right? So that to me was just like, what in the world? I can't do that. But I actually think the rejoice with those who rejoice one is much harder. Because here's why. Often the people around us are rejoicing about things that we actually want. And that's hard. It takes honoring them above yourself to rejoice with them when they're getting something that you truly want. I, I, I didn't plan to share this, but um, I, I can't help but I just have to I think about this instance every time I read this. Um, so we, I, I've shared before, we were, um, I guess 2021 was just a hard year for us as a family because we went through a couple miscarriages, and it was just just hor- horrible year in that sense. And I remember I got a text from one of my best friends to let us know that they were having their second baby. And in that moment, I sent back this, congratulations, that's amazing, so happy for you. And I did not mean it at all. (laughs) I, I I was actually in that moment extremely angry at God because they were getting something that I desperately wanted, right? And I remember my, my friend knew what we were going through, and his response to my response was, thank you for rejoicing with me as you're weeping. I was like, I guess, okay, I guess I am, right? But that, that's true community. Like, that, that's like I, we got to get to that point where it's when someone gets something that we desperately want, we honor them over ourselves, and we celebrate with them. We, we, we put them above ourselves and, and we're willing to celebrate even if it's hurtful to us. Even if it pains us. It's difficult, right? It's difficult. But we got to do it. Here's point four. Christian community encourages. Christian community encourages. So I've been mostly negative to this point. The Christian community actually does. It is messy, absolutely, but it is there to encourage us. It encourages us to finish the race well. Here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. So that's our role as a community is to come together and encourage each other, to, to blow wind in each other's sails. To point each other to Jesus. That's what we do. And so I wrote down a few things that I think that, that what this looks like just on a daily basis. What does it look like to encourage one another? Here's three things I'll give you. Number one, we study the Bible together. We study the Bible together. If you're in a community group, your group probably does that, right? They set aside time to, to study the Bible together. Why are we doing that? Well, I'll say this. You know, let me say about myself. I love, okay, I'm a Bible nerd, okay? Bible nerd, Bible geek. I love geeking out over, over systematic theology and, and the Bible and all that good stuff. And there, there's a place for that in our communities. But I think the primary thing that we are doing when we gather together in our community and study the Bible together is we are encouraging each other with that truth of Scripture, right? We are speaking truth into each other's lives, applying what we've read to each other's lives so we can help each other follow Jesus. So we read the Bible together. Number two, we pray for each other. We pray for each other. And again, this, this may be so, you know, like you're like, duh. We pray. Like, of course that's what Christian community does. But telling on myself here, here's something that I found. I've been in so many community groups throughout my life 
that I've kinda, I can get into this, this mode where that prayer time at the end of community group, it's just the way you end it because that's just what you do, right? Like, that's just how it goes. You study the Bible together, you take prayer requests, you say the prayer, you send it out on the group me if you're our community group, and you move on with your life. But actually, one of the most important things that we do for each other as a community is pray for each other. So do you have time set aside during your week to pray for the people in your community? Pray for, I mean, if you want to go all in, pray for that, you know, that, that outer ring Pray for every member of this church. You can go on CCB, go through the directory, and just work through them day by day. That's an amazing thing to do. But at a minimum, are you praying for your community group? Are you praying for your 10 to 30? Do you just go, you just, you get the prayer request on, on the night you meet and you move on, you never think about them again. Or are you actually lifting up your community in prayer? That's how we encourage each other. And then number three, share your story. Okay? Share your story. Don't only talk about yourself, because that's really annoying. Okay, that's one of the messy things that make people move on. But share your story. Paul says this. You may remember this, Romans 1. Paul says he wants to go to Rome so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Talk about how you were saved. Talk about how God saved you. But also just talk about what he's doing in your life. Encourage people with that. The world is the opposite of encouraging we need stories of the amazing things that God is doing. Okay. That's three things you can do on a regular basis. But here's the other thing. Do you have people that you feel responsible for encouraging in your life? Do you have people that you, that you truly believe that when you see them, it is my responsibility to make sure that you finish this race well? Paul says, I, I press on towards the goal. Or there's people that you look at and you say, I am here to carry you to the finish if I have to. Because you are my responsibility. Do you have that? I was reminded the other day, you've probably seen this video. They play it like every time the Olympics come around. But in 1992, Derek Redman was a sprinter for Great Britain. And Redman, again, you've probably seen the video. Redman is sprinting and all of a sudden... During the middle of his sprint, he tears his hamstring in the middle of the race. Just falls down to the ground. But he does this interesting thing. He doesn't stay there. He gets up, and he has like 200 meters to go, and he tries to finish the race. So he is just walking along the track, just holding his hamstring, just trying to get to the finish. Tears running down his eyes in obvious pain. And it's a little awkward, honestly, because this whole, you know, this whole stadium full of people is just looking at him, this poor guy just trying to finish this race. And then a spectator runs onto the track, okay? And it's his dad, okay? And his dad comes in, and go, it's amazing. Like, he's dressed like a total 90s dad. Like, he's got the, the Nike shoes on and the short shorts and, you know, all that stuff. And he comes in. And he puts his son's arm around him. And his son is just bawling. And he basically carries him to the finish. It's, it's one of the most amazing things you'll ever see. What was going on in that moment? There was a dad in the stands who saw his son wasn't going to finish. And he said, this is my responsibility. It's my responsibility. i got to go do something. Are there people in your life that when you see them straying or you see them tearing a hamstring in the Christian life, whatever that looks like, I don't know, that you feel like it's your responsibility to go pick them up and help them go. Because that's community. There will be times where you pick them up and they get better and then you tear your hamstring and they're going to pick you up, right? That's how it works. Are there people that you're responsible for? Here's point five. Here's point five, and this will be short. I'll close with this. This is key. Christian community is empowered by Jesus. It is empowered by Jesus. Here's what I mean. Jesus says this in John 13. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So all this may sound really hard. 
It may sound like God is telling us to come together with messy, broken people and make it work. But what gives us the power to do this? It's the fact that Jesus came for us in our brokenness with all of our idiosyncrasies, with all of our things that that show how messed up we are. He came, and he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve, and he welcomed us into his community. We live in response to that. Why can we love others the way we do? What empowers us to do that? It's because Jesus loved us first. And he knows more than anyone that we're not very lovable. Right? I'm, I'm a hard person to love. Okay, go ask Allie. I'm a hard person to love. And Jesus loves me anyway. So how can I not love others, even in their brokenness? And think about this. You know, what is the best apologetic to the outside world? of how amazing Christianity is. Jesus tells us here, it, it, it's, not, it's not what you find in the apologetics book, so that's, that's great, okay? It's not what you find in, in our training program on Tuesday nights, even though I'm a big fan of that, or your equipping classes. It's none of that. It's the world looking in at your community, a group of people who have no business being together and looking at how they love each other, how they support each other, how they deal with conflict, how they help each other when they're down. That's the best apologetic we have. That is the most compelling thing that we have that points to Jesus is when you look into a community like that. So let me pray for us, and we're just going to respond by singing praise to Jesus, right? Because he is the foundation for all of our community. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the gift of community. And it, it truly is a gift. I've talked a lot about, a lot, a lot about the negatives and the messiness and, and all these things that we have to expect in our community. But it's a gift that we don't have to do this alone. It's a gift that we have people around us that we can come worship with, that we can enter into community groups with, that we can live life with. It's a gift that when we fall on that track and can't get up, that we have people who, who see us and know us and will run to pick us up and help us. And so I just, I pray, Lord, for endurance. I pray that, you know, for anyone in here, maybe right now experiencing conflict in their Christian community, I pray that we will just remember what you've done for us, that your name is worthy to be praised. And it's in response to that. It's in response to the love that you've shown us that we love others. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you will, please stand.